May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Now you know where that saying comes from, Psalm 119, verse 14. Um, <clears throat> tough call today. Jesus is clearing the temple. Come next week, you'll hear about that, loaves and fishes. Moses with the Ten Commandments, and Paul describes the human struggle. Decided to go with Paul today. <clears throat> Remember the three seeds of preaching, right? Preaching challenge, convict, every now and then comfort, and I think today we're going to get a little bit of each. So that's, hopefully that's good. Yeah. Big idea. Even spirit-filled Christians are still challenged by sin. Even spirit-filled Christians are still challenged by sin. We sometimes act outside of the will of God as much as a Jesus-loving, Jesus-following, spirit-filled person that I am. I sometimes act outside of the will of God in things that I might do, think, or say. Um, I, one of the differences is I recognize it right away, and I want to get back in inside the will of God. It's not that I got away with it or I feel, you know, it's, it's very different. Now, the truth is we have a new nature. <clears throat> We're born with a sin nature. And when you come to faith in Jesus, you get a new nature. And Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So it's different. And in Romans 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Even though we have a new nature, we're still in the world. And while in this body, while, while we no longer have a sin nature, we're still in enemy territory. There is an enemy out there, and he prowls around, and he is looking to undermine us at every opportunity and every chance he gets. My old nature was more likely to fall for that and walk in that and be okay with that. The new nature wants no part of it, but every now and then I'm going to find myself on the wrong side of the street. And again, hopefully, I'm going to realize that, wake up, and want to get back to where God wants me to be. So in Christ, we're free from the penalty of sin, which is judgment. The penalty of sin is judgment. You've heard me, I mean, my, my basic sermon is we're reconciled with the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. I am not going to hell. I know that. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a spirit-filled follower of Christ, a Christian. I've been justified by faith, not by works. So I'm free from the penalty of sin, which is judgment. I'm free from the power of sin, which you might say is hopelessness. What's the point? There's no hope. I just give up. Nothing's ever going to get any better. 
That's what the enemy wants you to think, by the way, you know. But with God, there is always hope. There's always hope. But while in the flesh I'm not free from the presence of sin, which is temptation to say, do, or think something that is outside of the will of God, and I am also not free from the possibility of sin, which is failure, when I actually give in to temptation and do what God doesn't want me to do. So if we're under grace, we take sin seriously. It's not my master, but it's a very strong adversary. Peter puts it like this. Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He doesn't really pay much attention to non-believers. They're just sort of on the team anyway. He goes after us. He, he wants to, to, he knows where we're weak, he knows where we're vulnerable, and he, that's where he goes to work. We'll talk about more of that, about that in a minute. Sometimes we just don't get it. Gary Richmond, a former zookeeper, had this to say. He says, raccoons go through a glandular change at about 24 months. After that, they often attack their owners. Since a 30-pound raccoon can be equal to a 100-pound dog in a scrap, I felt compelled to mention the change coming to a pet raccoon owned by a young friend of mine named Julie. She listened politely as I explained the the coming danger. I'll never forget her answer. It will be different for me. And she smiled as she added, Bandit wouldn't hurt me. He just wouldn't. Three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery for facial lacerations sustained when her adult raccoon attacked her for no apparent reason. Bandit was released into the world. One, too, often comes dressed in adorable guise. And as we play with it, how easy it is to say, it will be different for me. The results are predictable. And yet, we just kind of walk around like that couldn't happen to us. Romans 7, 14 to 25 that we read this morning Um, It's a struggle. It's a conflict. It's a war. A couple of struggles that believers go through. One is the struggle to live out what I ought to be. It's like Paul says, I don't understand what I do. You ask a child, why did you hit your sister? Why did you tease the dog? Why did you break the lamp? What's the answer you get? You see, you already know. I don't know. I don't know. What's the adult version of that? What was I thinking? Huh? Or the other one is, I'll never do that again. Oh, really? Maybe you don't do it as often, and maybe at some point it stops. What was I thinking? How could I have done that? What do I... What was I thinking when I said that, you know? I love there's a facial expression when you hit reply all. Think about that one for a minute. You know, it's, it's, it, it, things are different days, and I don't know what made me think of this. I love to watch on Saturday and Sunday and, and late afternoon, you, you can find the Lone Ranger on FETV. 
and how often the Lone Ranger has this moral of to, to share with the, the bad guy or the guy who's going wrong and he's not really a bad guy. And it's not uncommon for the Lone Ranger to quote Scripture. To quote Scripture. It's amazing. I love it. I love that show. The Lone Ranger. The hearty ho silver. Even as followers of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, I'm not as good as I think I am, and I'm probably worse than I want to admit. There's a struggle to live up to what I know I ought to be. Baptismal covenant in our denomination goes like this. Will you persevere in resisting evil, and when you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? And we say, I will with God's help. It's not if, but when. Don't like to think that, but it's true. Life, I tell people, is a live fire exercise. The real bullets are flying out there, and we kind of walk around like we're bulletproof. Nothing's going to happen to us, or we don't even realize what's going on. But it's real. The danger is real, and we've got to take action against it. We've got to be ready for it. We've got to walk through life without a false sense of security. Second thing is there's a struggle to come to grips with repeated personal failures. And again, just because I'm a Christian doesn't make me immune to temptation and sin in my life. This, that's the idea of justification by faith, not by works. I'm reconciled with the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, justified. Sanctification, that second phase of salvation where I'm, I'm changing. God is transforming me into who he wants me to be. That's a process. And then glorification. Finally, when we get home, sin is a distant memory, not an issue anymore. But while I'm in this life, that's an issue. Some people fall into temptation, but a great many plans for disaster ahead of time. Son, ordered a father, don't swim in that canal. Okay, Daddy answered, but he came home carrying a wet bathing suit that evening. Where have you been, demanded the father. Swimming in the canal, answered the boy. Didn't I tell you not to swim there, asked the father. Yes, sir, answered the boy. Why did you, he asked. Well, Dad, he explained, I had my bathing suit with me, and I couldn't resist the temptation. Why did you take your bathing suit with you? So I'd be prepared to swim in case I was tempted. <laughs> Planning ahead. How often do we do something like that? I need to admit my weaknesses and my need for the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, I am absolutely helpless. Without the Holy Spirit, I am absolutely hopeless. If I'm trying to do this on my own, I'm, I'm done. There's no way that I can see what's really happening. There's no way that I can prepare for what's coming. There's no way that I can overcome those things that are going to be coming in my direction. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, it, there's no hope. And I think that's especially true these days with, like, depending on the state you live in and what you read and what you hear, COVID lockdown. There's a sense of depression and anxiety that comes along with that, which leading to lots of addiction and abuse and hopelessness and suicide and things like that. Because people haven't got Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You can get through that. Some, a lot of people do. But without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, 
it's a really uphill climb. And it does not end well for too many people. question is, what grips our lives? What are we going through? Worry? I always say worry is like being a hamster in the wheel. You know, a lot of energy is expended without getting anywhere. Worry versus concern. Concern, you can do something about it. Do that. Be concerned about something. Stop worrying about it. Gossip. Everybody loves a juicy story. Everybody loves a juicy story. Here's how it looks in a Christian world. Did I tell you what Red did? Well, I'm going to. But you know how we're going to do it? We're going to pray for Red. I'm going to tell you the story. Then we're going to pray for it. Now, don't tell Red we're praying for him. I don't want him to know that. But I just want everybody here to know what Red did. Okay? All right. And then if you feel like you need to go to your other friends and pray for Red for what he did, that would be fine too. Because it's all about being godly and holy and loving Red. Right? Amen, brother. No. Oh! It's gossip. Gossip in a in a veil of faith. It doesn't work. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. We talked about that this morning. Bible study. Very often. Can I share that? Or not? No. Okay. Can I? Jay thought he was cross-threaded with his mother. He felt it. He felt it. Called her up. And uh said, Mom, I, don't, I just feel like there's something not wrong between us. We're cross-threaded. She said, no, 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 I love you. Blah, blah, blah. And then she called him back. She said, well, there was that time that you didn't come to this event, and I didn't know you weren't coming, and that's the problem. He didn't know it. He didn't know his mother felt that way. She did feel that way and held it against him. And so often that's where unforgiveness is. Only one party is involved. What do they say? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. Doesn't work. You know, if something is on your heart, somebody else, go to that person. What does Jesus say? Go to the person. Talk to the person. Tell them what's going on in your heart and your life, and so you can be reconciled and made whole. Right? Critical spirit. Some people just are born, I don't know if you're born that way, but you sort of grow up that way with a critical spirit. You just see the negative in a situation. There's that list of people that can do no wrong and a list of people that can do no right. Neither of those lists are accurate. We're all a mix of right and wrong. We're all a mix of positive and negative. None of us are beyond doing something that isn't right, and none of us are beyond doing something that isn't wrong. But that critical spirit prevents you from allowing or, or allowing you to sort of step into the light and seeing people for who they really are. Anger. Anger, as I say, is a secondary emotion. You don't get angry for no reason. Something happens and your reaction to whatever it is that happens is anger. And sometimes anger can get you into real trouble. The enemy loves that. When you fly off the handle, lose your temper, and off you go. And then you wish, boy, I really... What was I thinking? Never going to do that again. But now it's too late. Then there's the, um, I call it D-square, the two of the enemy's most powerful 
weapons are doubt and discouragement. Doubt and discouragement, you know, especially in a day like today that so many things are uncertain. People are doubting and they're discouraged whether things are ever going to change or maybe it's in a relationship or a work or a personal situation or something like that. And we don't rely on God. We don't rely on God. We don't see beyond the circumstances of our situation. And that's when we kind of fall back into that idea of hopelessness. Bitterness and resentment are like acid. They kind of go together. They're like acid, and it just eats your soul. If you're a bitter, angry, resentful person. See, the opposite of this is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to give you. The enemy wants to give you what we're talking about here. Is this your basic character, your nature? Is this how you're going through life? I hope not. Envy. Envy. Can't believe she got that promotion. That was mine. You know? I can't believe he went, he got her. She was my girl. Or you just name it, you know? You look at somebody, you look at a situation, you think, that ought to be me. That should have been me. And you get, you get angry and you get resentful and you get bitter and you get unforgiving and all those things that we're talking about. Fear. Fear is uh, all anxiety is due to uncertainty. Remember that? All anxiety is due to uncertainty. Okay? There's going to be so many sayings that you won't be able to fit them on my tombstone. I don't think. Maybe. Maybe on two sides. Two sides. But all anxiety is due to uncertainty, no exceptions. Just because we don't know what's going to happen. We get fearful and we get anxious. And my fear right now is my, my fear. I, I hope we're not raising a generation of young people that is having the, the, the fear instilled into them so that they approach life in a fearful way because of what's happening with the virus. I hope that we can see the facts, see it for what it is, see that you can overcome it and live a normal, happy life, you know? Um, and the uncertainty of it all at this point. Will there ever be a full football stadium again? I don't know. Will there ever be a full, full movie theater again? I don't know. Will there be a movie theater? You know, these sorts of things. All the businesses that have gone under, people are concerned and, and normal and and. Concerned is a good word. What am I doing about that? You know, the enemy is having a field day these days. And in a world so uncertain, there's, uh, these things are all present and active. And again, imagine trying to get through this without Jesus. Just So Paul's frustrated. He's battling in his own strength. And I wonder, where am I battling in my own strength? Is it my children? Okay. I know people who say, oh, thank God, they're 18, they're, I'm done. Hello. It doesn't work that way. Now, before I tell you this story, I just want you to know everybody's fine. Fran Crispin texted Kathy and I yesterday and said, our son Justin's house in Tennessee has burned to the ground. The vehicles, the house, but everybody got out and they were fine. Talked to John last night about 6 o'clock. The fire department thinks that it's, it was an electrical fire that started in the ceiling and just erupted into flames, and the whole thing burned to the ground. You know, So Francis, I'm not leaving here until you have a smile on your face. So I will hopefully see them sooner rather than later. 
you know. Um, Liam graduated from college. You all know the story. And eight days in a coma, traumatic brain injury, nine years at home, worst thing that ever happened to me. But then God intervened. Sarah came along. And now, no accident, no this. These two, Lily and Fiona, no accident, no them. I think the accident was worth it. God knows the accident was worth it. He turned it into something good. Mm. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's a marriage. When I meet people, I typically look at them and say, by the way, you have no idea what you're in for. Is that true? That's true. You have no idea what's coming your way with each other, with your kids, with your health, with your whatever it is, you know. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's aging. Anybody here dealing with getting older? <laughs> Anybody uh, finding an effect from that somehow that you didn't plan on? You know, enough said. COVID, obviously, the national scene. The national scene is, is, uh, is uncertain right now with legislation that's before the Congress, and you, say, you scratch your head and you say, really? This is what you want to pass and impose on the country? Uh, the state of Christianity in the West. When we were in North Carolina, we had these Zoom calls. And one of the people that we talked to was Bishop Roel Flemstead. And I, I might have mentioned it before, but Bishop Flemstead is the CC, Polish National Catholic Church. Um, a wonderful group of people, by the way. I've got to say, there's a PNCC parish down in Bellevue. And remember Bill and Dottie Smith? Bill and Dottie lived down south, and they couldn't come all the way up to Living Waters anymore. So they started to go to this PNCC church. Bill passed away. I'm going to his funeral. I got the black suit and the collar on, and I'm walking up. I park my car, and there's a guy, and he's parked cars, you know, and, and he says, hey, how are you? And he introduces himself. He's the rector. And he said, you're here for the funeral. I said, yeah. He says, I was, you know, Bill's pastor up, up in Living Waters. And he goes, oh, you want to sit up with us? You want to sit up front with us? I said, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, come on back in the sacristy. And I said, you want to you wanna suit up? You want to put an album? And, you know, I said, perfect. He said, you want to say something? You want to preach? You want to? I said, absolutely, yes. <laughs> I mean, he didn't know me from Adam's house cat, and he let me speak. I mean, I wasn't the only one that said anything, but it was just an amazing, wonderful, Bill's laughing. Amazing. Um, I love the, I love the ec ec ecumenical feel to this, you know. Uh, so here's Roel Flemstead, and he's a PNCC bishop, and he's in Norway, and looking over the landscape of Western Europe in terms of Christianity. And when we were done, we processed the phone call, and I said, there's a guy who knows he's on the Titanic. And he sees the iceberg, and he's looking for a lifeboat. And, and the lifeboat that he's looking at is the Anglican Union, of which we're a part. We started it. And not only there, but in India. We, we talked to uh, Father David over in India. He's ministering to the Anawim. The Anawim is the Hebrew word for remnant. These are the people that are lower caste people in India that nobody wants anything to do with. And he's got like 120 churches. And he's going to ordain 35 
people. And the guy that's going to ordain him is Bishop Raphael from the Diocese of Ravuma in Tanzania because he's part of the Anglican Union, and that's going to be part of the Anglican Union. It's an international multi-ecumenical uh, group, and it's wonderful. It really is. You know, if I went around the congregation here, we got Protestants, we got Catholics, we got Pentecostals. We even have Assembly of God. Believe it or not. I even got an old Assembly of God pastor sitting out there. You know, but they found a home here. There's something about the three stream of, of sacrament, spirit, and, or sacrament, scripture, and spirit that is. And so I'm excited about what's happening. I really am. I really think we're on the cusp of something. Um, Again, if I battle these things on my own strength, I'm going to fail. I need Jesus. So when do I fail? You know, if people come to me or, or see me on, or, a, or here on a Sunday morning and they leave farther away from God, then I've failed. And I'm going to tell you a story I've told you before, but it just, when I was thinking about this, it hit me about failure. So 35 years ago, I'm the executive officer of a ship. I'm in the Persian Gulf, and this system combat systems officer comes to me one night his name was chuck and nobody liked him very unlikable guy his crew didn't like him the officers didn't like him i didn't think much of him either he was just obnoxious and it was really late at night and i was working late at my desk and a knock on the door and he comes in and he gets down on his haunches right next to my desk and i'm looking at him and he says i don't get you i don't get you I said, what? he says, you're not like any other XO I've ever known. You don't swear. You don't yell. You don't get angry. What is it about you? I'm a relatively new Christian. I am terrified now that I have to talk to him about my faith. And I put him off. I said, you know, it's late. I'll, 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 talk, to you some, I'll talk to you later. The next day he gets hurt. He gets medevac to the States, and in three months he commits suicide. I failed him. I doubted that I could help him because I wasn't sure of myself. And I was doing it on my own strength. When Kathy's world was falling apart in Monterey, the woman upstairs, Mary Beth Affelt, Kathy went to her and said, I don't know what it is you got, but whatever it is, I want it. And Mary Beth shared her story with Kathy, and Kathy came to faith that night and put her faith in Jesus Christ because Mary Beth Affelt didn't chicken out like I did and shared her story because that's the most powerful thing you have in terms of being an evangelist is your own story. And let me just say, that never happened again with me, okay? But I remember it. Mm. Paul cries out for a rescue where he says, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Jesus Christ. That's our answer. Boy, there's three things you can do with your sin. You can deny it. Well, that wasn't so bad. Or you misunderstood. You misinterpreted. Um, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, whatever it might be. Um, no, it's real. It happened. You're doing it. Stop. You got to deal with it. You got to admit it. The second one is you can kind of deal with it on your own. Willpower. Willpower. It'll get you nowhere. How's that worked out for you in the past? Not so much. Or you can admit it and turn to Christ and find strength and forgiveness. 
say yes, I did it. This is what, you know, help me, restore me, restore me, Lord. Get me back on track. The answer is complete dependent on, dependence on Jesus Christ. And I love Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our struggle doesn't make us failures. It makes us excellent candidates for the grace of God to live in a Romans 8-1 life. And Romans 7 leads to Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that's a good place to be, but we need him in order to get there.
Without him, we're lost. But thank God, he doesn't hide himself. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen.